I like to start with something funny, so let me begin by telling a story about three guys that were um, out in the wilderness, and they came to a raging river. It was almost impossible to cross. The first man stepped up to the edge of the water, and he said, God, I pray that you'd give me the strength to cross this raging river. Poof, suddenly he had these massive arms and strong legs. He jumped in the water, and in two hours, he swam across that raging river. Well, the second man was pretty amazed, so he walked up to the edge of the river, and he looked up to heaven, and he said, God, I asked not only for the strength, but the tools to cross this river. Poof, suddenly a boat appeared. He jumped in that rowboat, and he rowed across the river in 30 minutes. The third person, the, the gentleman, came up to the edge of the water, and he's like, wow, okay, God, I pray also that you will give me not only the strength to cross the river, and not only the tools to cross this raging river, but the in intelligence to cross this river. Poof, God turned him into a woman. And, um, and he reached into his pocket. I mean, she reached into her pocket and looked at the map and realized there was a bridge just a mile up the road and went across in five minutes. And all the women said, amen. Yeah. So now that all the women are with me, let's see if I can get the men with me too. You know, we're uh, in a series called Expect. And we've been talking about the fact that God wants us to be people of faith. So I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to read a passage of Scripture together. First Peter. I want you to join me and let's read this together out loud. Got my keyboard player with me this morning. He's handsome. Um, it's my son, for those of you who didn't know that. That's Tanner. Good job, Tanner. All right. Okay, let's read together. You ready? Here we go. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. This passage is talking about the fact that God has an inheritance for us, eternal life. We're going to go to heaven, experience what God has prepared for us, and that we're to live with expectation that that is going to come. And as we look through the Bible, God teaches us this idea that we're to be people of faith. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible tells us that every person that's ex accepted Christ, that we've been given a measure, a deposit of faith. And so today we're going to learn what it means to be people who expect. I love what the psalmist said, I am confident in this. I expect this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I want us today to close our eyes and welcome the Holy Spirit to speak. Father, we thank you that, Lord, although I'm standing on the platform today sharing the word, really I'm not speaking, you're speaking because we're taking your words which you spoke to us. And I ask that those words would bring life, would bring hope, and would build our faith. Let us be people who live with expectancy, with expectation. In Jesus' name. Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And somebody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The word expectation there is a Greek word which means to anticipate with confidence, with hope. We want to live life not anticipating that the other shoe's going to drop or that the ice is going to break or something bad's going to happen, but that we live with expectation, believing that God is going to do something good in our world and in our lives. 
What we've been doing is using a passage of Scripture, and it's in the book of Genesis. Now, this story is a story that a lot of people, in fact, I talked to someone last service who has struggled with this part of the Bible. They don't understand it. They, they don't understand what was going through God's mind when this all took place. And it's a story about Abraham and how that God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, up to the top of a mountain, and at that mountain, I want you to put him on the altar and sacrifice him. Now, of course, we, we struggle with that. What would, was God doing? What was he thinking? Why would he do something like that? And today, if you have questions about the reasons and purposes of this passage, I want you to do me a favor. Put it on the side, and when you get to heaven, you can talk to God about it, all right? Because I don't know that I'm going to give you every answer you're looking for. But what I do know is that we're going to take this word of God in Genesis 22, and we're going to glean some truths and some principles about faith. And that's really what we've been doing. We learned in week one that we need to expect, people of faith expect that there will be some tests, right? God tested Abraham's faith. How many know in life sometimes we face tests? And God will use those tests. We learned also in week one that we need to expect that there's going to be silence in the middle of the test. How many know the teacher never talks in the middle of the test? We learned also that we need to expect that it the test is going to take some time. Our timing is different than God's timing. And if you missed any of these, you can go to our app and you can follow along and, and listen to the messages. Last week, we learned a couple principles as well. And one of those, remember when God spoke to Abraham, he got up the next morning, he chopped up the wood, he got the fire ready, he got the knife sharpened, he got all the supplies, a donkey, a couple servants, and he headed to the mountain. When he got to this mountain three days later, God said, this is where you're going to sacrifice your son. And when he did, he looked at his servants and he says, you stay here, Isaac and I are going to go to the top of the mountain. And when he did that, he left some people behind. And we learned last week that we need to expect to leave some people behind because God hasn't called everyone to go where he's called you to go. And we need to pay attention to the voices that have influence in our lives. We learned last week not only that, but that God requires sacrifice we learned that God can think outside the box and do the miraculous. And what we're going to do today is continue on with this story. We're going to bring it to a close, and we're going to learn a few points to help us grow in our faith. How, wanna, how many want to be people who live with expectancy? All right, be people of faith. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Here's the next thing, is that God wants us to expect, he wants you to expect, that you're going to have to do your part. Expect to do your part. Let me show you where we find this in the story. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 says, So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. When we read this part, you'll just read on and not think about it. But if you stop and you think about it for a second, it tells us something, and that's this. A lot of us, we're waiting and expecting God to do a miracle and what happens is, is when we start thinking God's going to do the miracle, we stop doing what we're called to do. Because when God's going to do a miracle, that doesn't mean that you don't still have to chop the wood and sharpen the knife. What would have happened if he would have gotten to the top of the mountain and he would have seen the ram, but he would have had no wood and he would have had no knife and there would have been no fire, there would have been no sacrifice. And what happens is sometimes we undervalue the importance of faithfulness. We undervalue the importance of 
chopping the wood. For some of us, chopping the wood is being faithful to church. For some of us, chopping the wood is giving tithes in the offering bag. For some of us, chopping the wood is serving in an area of ministry in the church. For some of us, chopping wood is continuing to do our devotions. You see, God wants to do something miraculous in and through you, but you shouldn't wait on him to do the miracle because he's waiting on you to do your part. There's an interesting verse in the Bible. I want to read it to you in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. It says, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You see, we're called to do our part with the little and then God will do the more. You see, there's a story in the Bible and it's the story of a man who went away from his kingdom before he left he gave a talent to three men. He said, do something with those talents. And while I'm away, and when he came back, one of the men didn't do anything with the talent that he'd been given. And the Bible says that the master looked at him and said, you know what, you weren't faithful with what I gave you to do. So he took the talent that he had away from him. The second man took the talent and was, he, he used it wisely and he grew it to five. And so the man then um, told this master, I, I took and I used what you'd given me. I was faithful with what you've given me. I've been chopping wood since you've been gone. And the Bible says that the master then blessed him and multiplied way beyond what he had done with those talents he'd been given. And then there was one that did 10. He multiplied it to 10 and he was made master over more. And basically God says, if you're faithful with little, I'll make you Lord over more. And there was this miracle, this multiplication miracle of blessing that came to the two men who were faithful. And the point I want to make is that you and I are called to simply do your best and God will do the rest. The problem is, is God can't multiply something if there's no wood and there's no knife and there's no fire. I started thinking about it and it reminded me of a story when I was um, early on in ministry. I used to work at my mom and dad's church in Selma. At the time, it was a church of about 150 people and they had an auditorium that seated a couple hundred people and it was a nice little facility. And when I started working at the church, I had just graduated. Actually, I started when I started college. But when I graduated from college and had gotten married, my dad came to me and said, son, I want you to serve in the ministry here. And I'm like, great. And he said, I want you to be the youth pastor. I'm like, awesome. Amen, I'll do it. And he said, oh, and I also want you to be the uh, worship pastor. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I'll do it. And he said, I also want you to be the production pastor. And how many know when you're in a small church, you get to do a lot of pastoring in <laughs> ministry? So I had all these things that I was doing and I'll never forget, we got ready to do a Easter production and this production was a massive undertaking. You know, in a church of 150 people, we went all, all out. I mean, I went all in. I was faithful. I mean, I was chopping wood. As soon as I got out of work, I went straight to the, the church and I would work and I'd have teams there. We had almost 100 in a cast of this production in a church of 150 people. We built out this massive set that came off the stage down into the middle of the room. We had live animals like donkeys and sheep and goats that were walking through this building. We had a flying angel that was only three feet off the ground, but man, he could fly. <laughs> it was a little building. 
Man, I went all out and we gave our best and we worked hard. And I'll never forget that a few years later when God called us to go to Modesto and God had spoken some words over my life about how that he was going to use me to write songs and to do worship and it would touch the nations and there were all these things he wanted to do. We had this inside of us and it just so happened that um, my sister-in-law's dad was on the board and this church was going through this massive revival and they'd had 33,000 people get saved in 28 nights. It was a massive, massive revival, and they were looking for a worship pastor, someone to come in and oversee the ministry, and as they were doing that, they were looking at all these big-name people that had big ministries and were on TV and recorded albums, and somehow, um, my name got in the mix. I think it had to do with my sister-in-law and her dad, which is here today, and so it's kind of cool that we're telling the story, and I'll never forget, miraculously, in the middle of all that, I end up getting the job and they put me as the worship pastor of this church coming from this little tiny church uh, to this massive church and I'll never forget having a conversation with the pastor one day and I'm like, you know, pastor, why is it that you chose me? He said, well, you know, there's an anointing on your life in worship and there's, he started going all these things but the thing he said that finally put the nail in the coffin, it's probably the wrong analogy, but <laughs> he said, the thing that finally did it for me was when I watched the video of your production. So I'll never forget, I was sitting there and I was watching and I looked over at the executive pastor and I'm like, how big is this church? He said, I think it's a church of 150 people. He's like, how many is in that cast? He said, it looks like it's about 100 people. <laughs> and he goes, what in the world? He goes, those are animals. Are those live animals? Yes, they're live animals. He said, when I saw the level of effort and energy you put into doing that production in that little place, I realized that's the kind of guy I want on my team. Now, I'm not telling this story to pat myself on the back. What I'm telling you is, is that I just chopped the wood and sharpened the knife, but God multiplied the miracle. And he took me to a place where when I got there, I started writing songs. God gave us a television ministry that went around the world. I mean, God was using the ministry all over the globe. And I want to tell you, a lot of us are waiting for the miracle while God's waiting for us to just keep chopping our wood. What is the wood that God's called you to chop? What's the knife that he's called you to sharpen? Because sometimes it's easy to get weary. But what does the scripture say? Do not be weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap. If you don't give up, people of faith expect that we're going to do our part. Y'all with me? Say amen. So Abraham did his part. That's the first thought here in this part of the story. Let's go on to the next one. This next point is expect there will be some teaching moments along the way. People of faith understand there's going to be a teaching moment along the way. Let's continue reading in the story. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. It says, As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Now remember, Isaac is carrying the wood. His dad is carrying the fire and the knife. And um, as they're walking, he turns to his dad and he says, Father... How many know that when you watch a, a movie that's a biblical movie, they always speak with an English accent? I'm just throwing it out there. So whenever I read this story, Joe from England, I always go into my English, terrible English accent. So he looks at his dad, he says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham says. Guys, if you'll bring that next verse up for us. We have the fire and we have the wood. The boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. 
And they both walked on together. Now imagine, he's walking up the hill, and he's not, you know, nine or six. Most theologians say that he's somewhere between 15 and 35. So he starts to put it together. I've got the wood, I've got the fire, I've got the knife, but dad's going to do the sacrifice. And he's like, dad, where's the sheep? And suddenly his dad says, God will provide. And suddenly it's like, he starts talking to himself. He's like, this is a bad idea. (laughs) Come on, I was waiting three weeks to tell that joke. (laughs) Took three weeks to get to this part of the story. Isaac realizes that something is missing. Something doesn't add up. And I want to tell you that on our journey of faith, as we walk out our faith, there are going to be moments that don't make sense. There are going to be moments where we don't understand. And if we're not careful, we'll just run on by and not realize that those moments are there for you and I to be the kind of people that are able to help, encourage, and teach those around us. It may be our children. It may be a friend on the job. It may be someone in our family. God wants you to be instant and in season and out of season ready to take advantage of those teaching moments. You know, there's a great scripture. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse or 4, verse 2. It says, Preach the word, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently re- correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. I want to tell you that you're going to face moments. You could be on a mountain. You could be in a valley. You could have a sharpened knife in your hand. And I'm going to tell you there are people around you that are going to be wondering and they're going to be watching. And the question is, are you going to take advantage of your moment to help encourage, teach someone along their faith journey? Amen? Because people people of faith expect that there will be teaching moments. I'll never forget, and I may get the story wrong, and afterwards if I do, my mom will correct me in private. Um, not in public because she's here at the service right now. But when we were in Visalia, and it just so happened this week, I went to Visalia. I was there. I'm on a board of directors of a, a new church that's being planted called Prodigal Church. Some of you remember Pastor John Richardson was here and he spoke. And they've been going now four weeks, averaging almost 350 people a week. It is awesome. They're getting ready for their grand opening, expecting 600 at their grand opening. God's doing some good stuff. As I drove into town, I had a flashback moment. And I remembered back in the day when my parents used to pastor a little church in Visalia. It was a, a church called Calvary Community, I think, church, or Calvary Chapel. And it was this little church that was there, and it was a beautiful place. They had just built it, and I'll never forget, my parents moved in. There was about 100 people, but there were some people there that were controlling and religious, and they were trying to tell my dad how to do ministry, how to run the church. And if he didn't, they weren't going to support him financially, and he decided to do what God had put in his heart. So they pulled out and pulled all the money and left him with 35 people and no money. So they kept faithfully serving in the church and working a job, working at the church, doing what they had to do. And I'll never forget, there was this one Sunday that we came home. When we got home, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot at the dinner table. And I remember mom and dad saying, listen, guys, it's going to be a little lean this week, but you know, we had to pay our tithes. Tithing is important. God says that he's first, and so it was a choice. We either pay our tithes or we get lots of groceries. So we're going to honor the Lord first and trust that his promises are true. So we don't know how it's going to work out, but we're going to honor the Lord. And I never forget thinking, that's cool, but I'm hungry. You know, I mean, when you're young, principle is cool, but... Where's the Twinkies? Come on, I'm, I'm, you know. 
So I'm like, okay, okay, I get it, all right. And so I went off to school, and the next day I come walking in, and when I come walking in, there are bags of groceries everywhere. And I'm like, it's raining groceries. What's happening? And then my mom is there, my dad's there, and tears are in their eyes as they begin to tell us the story. And they said, you know, yesterday when we were praying or yesterday when we were honoring the Lord and giving to him first, uh, about that time on the other side of town in a little community called Farmersville or someplace like that, there was another pastor and God was speaking to him and God told him that he was supposed to get up and take an offering for these pastors of this little church on the other side of town. And so they took an offering and they went to the store and they bought all these groceries and they brought them this morning and guess what? We ate good all week long. Come on, amen. And you know what I saw? I saw God in the middle of the test. I saw provision in the middle of the test. And I'm so thankful that my parents used it as a teaching moment. In fact, I remember telling my dad and my mom recently, I said, you know what? I don't think I would be a pastor today if I hadn't had to go through three years of Visalia. Because it was in Visalia that I saw God provide. It was in Visalia that I saw God was concerned about the welfare of a family and of a church. I want to tell you that people of faith expect that there will be some teaching moments. Don't miss your teaching moments. Y'all with me? Say amen. Expect to do your part. Expect there will be teaching moments. And I'm going to give you another thought. And when I give you this thought, it's going to take a little while for us to get there. But follow me. Because the Lord showed me something about faith that I've never seen. I've never heard really preached anywhere before. But it really was, was tran- transformational for me. Let's go on. Point number three is expectation comes through relationship. Faith, let me say it this way, comes through relationship. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Jerry? Well, let's go on with the story, and I'm going to just read a little of this story to you. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offerings, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This part of the story is just hard to fathom. Now remember, Isaac is probably 15, maybe 35. So this wasn't like wrestling your six-year-old down and tying him up. This was, come here, son. I know this doesn't make sense, but I need to tie you up and sacrifice you. It tells a little bit about the heart and mentality of Isaac that Isaac had caught something from his father. And as I began to think about that process, I began to ask myself, what was going through Abraham's mind? Now, we learned last week that we know a little bit what was going through Abraham's mind because Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac back from the dead if he had to take him. But as I began to study it in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 is what's considered the faith chapter of the Bible. And in this faith chapter, it kind of describes faith And then it goes through and starts talking about Abraham and other people who are people of faith. And so I ran across a verse that kind of starts the chapter and then goes into Abraham. And as I begin to read this verse, I believe it gives a little insight into why Abraham was such a man of faith. In fact, how you and I can be people of faith. Let me read it to you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, I quoted it earlier, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, leave this part up. 
In charismatic circles, in churches where people believe that the gifts are for today, there is this underlying subconscious idea about faith. And here's what it is. If I just have enough faith and I believe hard enough, if I follow all the rules and I, you know, um, I pray in Jesus' name and I agree with somebody else and, and I read the Bible and I know what God's promises are and I claim that promise, if I do all these things and I have enough of it, God is going to see that and then he's going to reward that. How I many would say growing up, if you grew up in a charismatic church, you'd say, yeah, there's just, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. Wave, wave at me. But as you read this verse, that's not what this verse says. This verse doesn't say that God rewards people who seek for rewards. The Bible says he rewards people who seek him. Now, let's develop this a little bit because Abraham, let's tie it into Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. There's nobody else in scripture that was called a friend of God. So Abraham has a distinction of special relationship. So as I began to think about faith, I began to think what was going through his mind when he tied up his son? Here's what I think was going through Abraham's mind. Abraham is walking up the mountain. His son is carrying the wood. He's, he's got the knife in his hand. He's got the fire in his hand. And he's getting closer and closer to this moment. And what is he saying? He's saying, man, this is crazy, but wait a minute. I know my friend and God is not a liar. He told me I would have to have a, uh, he told me that I would have a son through whom his promise would be fulfilled to the world. So the son, my son, must live where God would be a liar, but I know my friend and my friend doesn't lie. So there's a contradiction, but wait a minute, there's no contradiction in my friend because he doesn't lie. So there's only one answer, and the answer is that God's going to raise him from the dead. There's never been a resurrection in history before, but that doesn't matter because I know my friend, and my friend can do anything. You see, maybe the release of God's faith isn't based on you claiming a promise. It's on knowing the promise giver. In fact, let me just say it this way. When you know him, you can trust him. Because when his word is given to you, when you have the word of a friend who you know, you know how they live, you know what they say, you know that they stand behind what they say. When they give you a word, when they give you a promise, you can stand on that promise. And maybe the key to the release of God's power in your life in faith isn't claiming a promise, it's knowing him better than you've ever known him before. Come on, somebody shout amen. That's why, that's why Romans says, take a look at this. Then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you know God, when you diligently seek him and you know his word, I have this feeling that you'll have a level of faith like you've never had before. Too many people are holding on to the thing instead of the giver of the thing. Now, I'm not against praying in the name of Jesus. I'm not against standing and believing for a promise. But what I'm here to tell you today, and I'm telling you, this is, I believe, transformational. 
the key to unlock the next level of the divine flow of reward and promise in your life isn't praying a certain prayer, isn't having that verse memorized. It's diligently seeking and knowing him more and more every single day because the more you know him, the more you can trust him. And I know my God and he will never let you down. Somebody shout amen. Expectation comes through relationship. Let me give you the last point. Y'all ready? The last thing is expect that God will provide. Everyone read that with me, including those joining us online. Let's say it together. Expect will provide. Now, I know that's a simple thing, but I want to read the rest of this verse to you, this, this story. And there's going to be some things here that are going to unlock at least some understanding in this story and why God would ask what he asked. As we read, it says this, and Abraham then got his son there, tied him up, put him on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Most people have a hard time reading past that part. But let's keep going. At that moment, what moment? The moment that he picked up the knife. At the moment he raised the knife in the air, the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Jesus is English too, just throwing that in there. <laughs> Joe, Jesus is English, I think, isn't he? Don't hurt him in any way for... Now I know that you truly fear God, for you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Let me stop right there. Last week we learned that sometimes God asks us to let go of the thing we're holding too tightly to because we're not to have any other gods before us. And sometimes it can be a, a child. Sometimes it can be a dream. Sometimes it can be whatever. And we end up putting that above him. And, and so sometimes God has to help us to get to a place through a process where we let go and we lay on the altar and we let die the thing that's standing between us and more important to God. Because see, God wants to bring things to life, but he can't re resurrect something that you're allow, allowing to continue to live in your life. He says, now that I see that you were willing to let it go, now that I see that I'm first, he said, then Abraham looked up. Now, at this moment, he's got the knife in his hand. The Bible says he's got the knife in his hand that Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham, guys, if you'll bring that next verse named the place Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God is a provider. Now, sometimes we can see God and we can say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. And it doesn't seem like you're making sense. Do you even have a plan here? Do you even know what you're doing? And, and I'm sure that that's where many of us live when God begins to challenge us to step out in faith and challenge us to climb up our mountain. But can I tell you, as we read this story, God had a plan. How many know that God has a plan? God had a plan, and that plan had to do with position. It had to do with position because it wasn't until Abraham got to the top of the mountain in position with the knife in his hand raised that he saw God's provision. 
Here's what you need to understand about this place. As I began to study and research a little bit, I discovered that many theologians, many scholars believe that the place where Abraham was to sacrifice his son was the exact same location 4,000 years later where Jesus was crucified. So imagine now as God is asking Abraham to have his son carry some wood up the mountain, lay on the wood and be raised up on the wood as a sacrifice on the mountain. What Abraham didn't know is that 4,000 years later, God was going to ask his son to carry some wood up the mountain. And he was going to lay on that wood called the cross and they were going to raise it into the air. And sometimes we look at this story and say, God, how could you ask him to do it? When what we don't realize is that this was a prophetic statement, a prophetic principle of God saying, listen, I know you don't want to do this. I know this is a big sacrifice, but I'm asking you to do it because really what you're going to see is that you don't have to. I'm going to do it myself because I'm going to sacrifice my own son in this place. And when I do, I'm going to provide for the world for all eternity because God is Jehovah Jireh and he knows how to provide. That'll preach, hallelujah. Do you realize that when God was introduced as the provider, he did it in a position in the very place that he would demonstrate to the world I know how to provide. And when I ask you, you know what's interesting about the word Jireh, Jehovah Jireh? It's not just a song that we used to sing in church. Come on, anybody remember that old song? Jehovah Jireh, my provider's grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Come on, anybody remember that song? And you had to sing it with like a Jewish vibe to it. And you had to like, Jehovah Jireh. Come on, anybody remember that? It was like... Praise God for new worship songs. God was all about position. You see, the word gyra is a Hebrew word which means to provide, but can I tell you what it also means? It means to see. Do you realize that Abraham didn't see the ram? The ram had been there already, it was caught didn't just happen, it said it was caught. The ram, the provision was already there, but he couldn't see it till he got in position. And there's some of you that God has a ram for you. He has a promise for you, but you quit on the bottom of the mountain. You said, I'm not chopping any more wood. I'm not sharpening that knife doesn't take you up a mountain and ask something of you because he's trying to torture you. He's taking you up in the mountain. He's challenging you to step out because he's trying to position you so that you can see. What does the Bible say? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind even hasn't conceived the things that God has prepared for them that love him. I'm gonna tell you something. God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you can ask, think, or imagine. So sometimes he has to take you to a mountain so you can see it. What's waiting on your mountain? 
Do you even have a mountain? Do you have a place where you'd say, God, I'm willing to go and do the thing that seems unthinkable? Let me show you. Some of you are saying, Pastor Jerry, you're kind of taking this a little far. Can I show you a verse in the Bible that's going to blow your mind? At least it blew my mind. And it's Jesus talking about Abraham. It's found in John. Let's go there for a minute. I told you to provide means to see. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about how that they don't know the Father. But he knows the Father. This ties into faith is about relationship. You see, Jesus was able to do amazing things because he knew his father, and he did what his father said. So he's talking to him about it, and then in the middle of it, he throws Abraham in. And he says, hey, you don't even know him. You don't know the father like I know. I know him. And then he goes, but your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Do you realize that when he lifted that knife, when he finally got in position, he didn't see a ram, he saw a lamb. He didn't just see a a ram, he saw the Messiah who would come and take away the sins of the world and he rejoiced in what he saw and he realized that God had a plan. God's trying to get you out of your mentality and your thinking so that he can get you in position so that you can begin to see the things that he wants to provide for you, your children, this city, this world. God, make us people of expectation. Make us people of faith. Where's your mountain? Where's your mountain? Where's your mountain? Where's your axe? Is it on your shoulder? Oh, Lord, let us do our part. Let us be faithful. And take us to the mountain of the Lord. Let us be people who say, I am confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I really believe there are things about your family. There are things about your business. There are things about God's kingdom. God wants you to see. But it takes faith. I want you to close your eyes. Do you know God wants to be your provider? God wants to be your provider. He wants to provide for you. Some of you don't know it. You're like, well, what do I need provision for? I got a great job. I got a great place to live. I got a wonderful family. Here's what God wants to provide for you. He wants to pay off a debt that you owe, that you can try to pay, but you'll never pay it the rest of your life. It's called the debt of sin. And every time you try, you're going to fall short. For we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin, our selfishness, our, our, our worldly concepts and ways are the things that create this debt of sin. But God asked a man 6,000 years ago to sacrifice his son so that he could set the stage to show the world that he wanted to provide for you. And you know how he did it? God sacrificed his only son 
Jesus. What's really interesting is Abraham really eventually sacrificed his son because if you look through the lineage of Abraham 28 generations later, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson laid on some wood and died so that he could pay the price. He could provide salvation for you.